If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And while you're turning there, uh, I want to honor and appreciate a few people. Um, I want, definitely want to honor and appreciate uh, our pastor, Dr. Reggie Bridges. We have uh, one of the most phenomenal pastors, shepherds out there. He is an incredible leader. And uh, to lead in a pandemic is not an easy task. I will tell you that. All right. Uh, we've had to do some of the most creative, some of the most challenging ministry uh, probably that we have ever done. Uh, and he has been uh, at the helm with the, the Holy Spirit leading him. And so I thank God for him. I thank God for uh, Miss Leslie. Uh, they are out of town honoring her grandfather. Her grandfather passed this weekend. He was 99 years old and uh, they, they've gone to celebrate his life. And so please uh, keep them lifted up in prayer. Uh, secondly, I want to honor and appreciate uh, the, the leaders here, uh, my fellow ministers, co-laborers in the gospel, uh, those that make ministry happen, live stream, audio text, this stuff just doesn't happen, all right? And so anything you see that's excellent, there's been hard work, there's been time invested uh, to make our worship experience as excellent as it can possibly be. And so I definitely uh, want to honor them. And I wanna honor my boo. My boo is not here, she is at home uh, with my children. But I want to take a moment to honor my wife, Sierra Lee. I started to say her middle name, but I'm not going to do that. Sierra Lee, um, without my bride by my side, ministry would be tougher. Ministry would be tougher. It's already tough. It's already difficult. But without a help meeting in my life, it would be extremely tough. Matthew chapter 16. If you got it, say, I got it. If you need a minute, say, wait. All right, everybody has it. I'm going to drop us in here uh, at a very awkward part uh, in the text, and then I'll come back and give us some context. Typically, we would be in the study of Moses' leadership 101, but if you would allow me this week to pull you guys into a sermon series that we have been in uh, at the Springs, next week I'm sure we will pick up again and resume uh, with uh, the life of Moses' leadership 101. Reading from verse 20, it says, Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Wow. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. For just a few minutes this morning, I want to speak from the subject. Don't hinder the king. Don't hinder the king. One of the sitcoms or shows that, that has been playing nonstop in my house as of late is a show called Family Matters. Okay, is, every, is anybody familiar with the show Family Matters? All right, y'all got to see me after service. We got to have a Family Matters binge watching session. Uh, but the show Family Matters chronicles the life of an African-American family called the Winslows. The Winslows. There's Carl Winslow. He is the father of the house. Uh, on the show, he is a law enforcement officer. Uh, Mr. Carl Winslow is phenomenal. There's his wife. 
Mrs. Winslow, Harriet Winslow. She is amazing. She is a stay-at-home mom. She is the super glue of the house. She keeps the family together. I don't know how Harriet didn't go crazy on the show. There's Mother Winslow, Carl's mother, the grandmother. The, she brings the wisdom to the show. If you're having some problems, you want to sit at the dining room table and you want to talk to Mother Winslow. There's Eddie Winslow, Laura Winslow, Judy Winslow, Aunt Rachel, and Little Richie. And together, they make up the Winslow family on the show, Family Matters. But you know, as well as I, that that alone does not warrant a good show. There has to be an element of conflict or an element of comedy and this brother by the name of Steve Urkel brought them both, okay? Steve or Stephen Q. Urkel, if he told you his name. Now, Steve Urkel was the nerdy next-door neighbor, okay? And the thing about Steve Urkel was that Steve Urkel, he had a great heart. Steve was considerate, but he was clumsy. He, 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 he was affectionate, but he was super awkward, Okay, he had a willing heart. He really did. But he was weird. He was weird. And when Steve would show up, Steve would mess stuff up. There was one episode we watched recently. Uh, Steve's negligence caused to a restaurant being burned down. Okay, Steve would show up and he would mess things up. Steve caused damage to property. He messed up expensive equipment. And on top of all of that, after he showed up and messed up, he had the nerve to ask the rhetorical question, did I do that? <laughs> yes, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yes, Steve, you, you, you did that. You came over here with no appointment. You didn't announce your prayer. You didn't let us know you were coming over here. You just inserted yourself into our plans. Yes, you wanted to help, but Steve, you messed up. And that was the problem with Steve is that he always wanted to help, but ultimately he would wind up being a hindrance. Now, I use that uh, as an illustration to uh, insert some laughter uh, into my introduction, but there are many more severe and grievous instances of you and I trying to help, but ultimately being a hindrance. Have you ever tried to play matchmaker with any of your friends and you messed up and you failed terribly, you wanted to help, but at the end of the day, uh, you wound up being a hindrance? Have you ever tried to help uh, that one friend that, that can never seem, that just can never seem to get it right? And they always find themselves falling into the same pit time and time and time and time again. And because of your willing heart, you've had a desire to help. But because you've had that desire to help, you've created codependency. And now you've wound up hindering when you had a heart to help. Maybe there's been somebody in your life that sought to help you. But at the end of the day would always be, would always be a hindrance. Here in the text, we have the opportunity to see Peter, um, the spokesman of the discipleship group, be a hindrance to Jesus. Peter was, he was the impulsive one of the group. He was the crazy one of the group. Every group has one, okay? Jesus' group had several, but Peter was the one. Peter was... Sporadic. 
If you got on his bad side, he cut your ear off. <laughs> Peter was crazy. Peter would jump out of the plane and figure out the parachute thing later. All right, let's just do it. All right, well, what about the parachute? Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. All right, that's who Peter was. He was the one, he was the student in the class that would ask the question everybody else wanted to ask but was too afraid to. He was the bold one. Man, I'm glad you asked that question. Why didn't you ask the question, all right? Peter was the spokesperson. But there were times often when he spoke up and, um, yeah, what he had to say uh, was of no avail, was ridiculous. But then there were times when he spoke up and it was actually God speaking through him. As I give you context for this text, I need you to know that a few verses prior to this, Peter has just made this miraculous confession of Jesus' deity, okay? Jesus' uh, Peter's confession was that, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. A few verses prior to this, Jesus brings his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. This is a town of varying views. It is steeped in idolatry, in mixed worship, the worship of Syrian gods, the worship of Greek gods. Then all of that was sprinkled on a Caesar salad because there was worship of the Roman godhead Caesar. And so Jesus brings his disciples to this place, this place of varying views and ask them the question, who do men say that the Son of Man is? They all spoke up. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah. He, they, 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 they answer three voices from salvation history. And then Jesus says, okay, great. Now that I know you guys can talk, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And Peter speaks up. He's the only one who speaks up. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But what threw me off in this story is that after all of this, Peter makes this confession. Jesus says, you are Peter and upon, my, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, I'm going to give you these keys. These keys represent authority. You'll have the authority to bind and to loose, all right? To bind what has already been bound in heaven and to loose what has already been loosed in heaven. I'm giving you, Peter, and ultimately the church, the authority to declare what is lawful because heaven declares it what's lawful, lawful, and what's unlawful, unlawful. I'm giving you this authority. Now that I've told you all of this, tell no one that I'm the Messiah. It's like, Jesus, I thought we were supposed to go out and shout from the rooftops <laughs> who you are. All right. And here's where I jump into my message. All right. Everything I said prior to this, this was just a setup. All right. So y'all are going to be here for like three hours. All right. Peter makes the confession, but does not have context. And a confession without context will always leave you confused. If you're taking notes, write that down. A confession without context will always leave you confused. What do I mean here? Peter, along with the rest of the disciples, realized that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. However, they did not know at the time what that meant. Everybody in Israel that looked forward to the Messiah's arrival, expected a political leader. 
They expected a, a warrior king, someone that would rid Palestine of Roman influences. And so they realized that Jesus is the Messiah, but they don't know yet what that means. And so they have no context. This is why the text says that from the point of Peter's confession, Jesus began to point out. He began to point out. He began to point out. He began to point out what is happening here. Jesus is discipling his disciples. All right. Follow me. I submit to you today that you can make a confession. This is why when you make a confession, when you make a profession of faith here in church, this is why we don't leave you to yourself to fend for yourself as a new believer. While you have made this confession, you still need context. You still need to know that this life of faith is not, it's not always going to be easy. It's not ice cream and sprinkles. There are going to be some hard days. There are going to be some struggles. And if you come into this life of faith without proper context, you will be disappointed. I'm sorry, but I cannot preach to you that if you pray real hard, God will give you whatever you ask for. He is not a bubblegum God. You don't put in a prayer and a blessing pops out, all right? That's not how that works, okay? So you need context. And I submit to you that context comes through discipleship. Context comes through discipleship. And discipleship leans on relationship. This is why the text says that Jesus begins to point out. He began to point out. He began to point out. He began to disciple them to point out that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. He began to point out. In order for me to point out, there must be a relationship. In order for us to point out, there must be a relationship. We have to be close enough for me to point things out to you. We have to talk often enough for me to point things out to you. There cannot be discipleship without relationship. And so Jesus disciples his disciples so that they can have context. What would have happened had they gone out after Peter's confession to communicate who Jesus was? People would have understood who he was, but not realizing why he came. Catch this. You can understand the subject and miss the point. You can understand the subject and miss the point. Jesus, his goal was always the cross, and he didn't want anything to interfere with him going to the cross. So, so number one, I need y'all to be quiet. But number two, I also need you guys to know who I am and why I came. I don't need you going out telling everybody who you think I am. I need you to tell everybody who you know me to be. Listen, church, I do not have the luxury of preaching to you who I think Jesus is. I have to preach to you who I know him to be as revealed in his word. I said it in the 9 a.m. service, and hopefully it won't get me fired in this service. But as a preacher, I will tell you that sometimes Jesus frustrates me. Can I just be honest, church? Sometimes Jesus frustrates me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit agitates me. Why? Because there are times that I want to do certain things and respond in certain ways, but I cannot 
because I am bound not just to my way of doing things, but to God's way of doing things. If we want to follow our king and further his kingdom, we have to place God's concerns above our own. That's the foundation of my message today. We have to place God's concerns above our own. Jesus begins to point out, now that you have embraced my identity, he begins to point out his necessity. He says, it is necessary. It is necessary for me to go to Jerusalem, for me to suffer many things, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the scribes. Jesus is basically saying the gospel is necessary. It's necessary for me to be killed and it's necessary for me to be raised on the third day. Jesus is saying that it is necessary. Side note, okay, y'all, if Jesus tells you it's necessary, it's necessary, okay? I was often told, my grandfather told me this one time, he said, boy, ain't no shortcuts in life. There's some things that are just necessary. There's some things that you cannot get around. There's some things that you have to get through, especially in this life of faith as a believer. You will often try to take the easy way out, but I'm going to just tell you right now, there aren't always shortcuts in life. It's necessary. Jesus says the gospel is necessary. Okay. Um, let's break this down. He says, okay, it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem. It's necessary for me to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes. It's necessary for me to be killed and be raised on the third day. Let me tell you this, what's necessary isn't always easy. Sometimes God will call you to do a thing that's necessary but not easy. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be steadfast enough. We have to be disciplined enough to say, God, even though, even though it's difficult, even though this is tough, I realize that I have to do this. I realize that you have called me to do this. You may feel like, you know what, I, 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 I'm struggling with this whole with this whole school thing. I know that, I know, I know that this is where I'm supposed to be, but it's tough. What's necessary isn't always easy. Maybe you're a newlywed and you've been recently married and you're struggling, all right? And you're like, man, like in my mind, we've gotten divorced like 10 times already, okay? All right? <laughs> you've made a commitment, all right? It's it, it won't always be easy, but it's necessary. Jesus says here, I have to go to Jerusalem a holy city, a religious city, suffer many things. What, what did Jesus suffer? Jesus was mocked. Jesus was ridiculed. They, they beat him. They spat upon him. They pulled his beard out. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They hung him high, stretched him wide, nailed him to the cross. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let me back up. For a moment in all of his existence, because he went to the cross, because he who, who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus in him, he experienced for a moment what it was like to be separated from his father, which was probably the most, which was the most painful thing that he would ever experience. So he says, I have to go to this place and I have to suffer many things at the hands of who? 
at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Jesus is talking about the Jewish high court. He's, he's talking about the Sanhedrin, okay? He's talking about the Sanhedrin. And this is why, uh, in terms of cultivating our relationship with Christ, we cannot grow closer to Jesus through religion alone because it was religion that killed him. It was religion that killed him. If you desire to grow closer to Jesus, if you desire to grow closer to those around you, religion alone cannot do it. We have to cultivate godly relationships. We have to, we have to, we have to. And so Jesus tells them this, and Peter, who, uh, who's the spokesperson, Peter, uh, he speaks out and he pulls, he pulls Jesus to the side. And, uh, and he says, Lord, um, I, I didn't sign up for this. This is my paraphrase. He said, God, he said, what you've just said, no, no, this, this is not what's going to happen. This is not what's going to happen. Um, if you read verse 22, it says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I need you to understand that in this culture, the, the, the way the master-disciple relationship was set up, it, would, it, it was unheard of for a pupil to correct the master, let alone rebuke the master. A rebuke is a strong talking to, all right? It's not necessarily yelling, but it's a strong talking to. So, so, so for Peter to rebuke Jesus, this, he was out of line. He was out of line. I can remember moments and times in my home growing up when I would respond in certain ways to my mother uh, and, and, and I would get a, a, a quickening, okay? I would, I, would get, I would feel the tension in the room. I would just feel it build up and I would realize I'm on thin ice. I'm out of line. I better moonwalk and moonwalk fast out of this situation. And so Peter pulls Jesus to the side and he says, oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Have you ever been guilty of telling God what will never happen? Have you ever been guilty of doing that? Because, we are, because we're omniscient, right? We are all-knowing, okay? I know what's going to happen before it happens, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You don't know what's going to happen when you leave this church this morning, but there are times when we tell God what will and won't happen. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen. Oh, no, Lord, th this, sickness, this sickness will never happen. Oh, no, Lord, this relationship is not going to end like this. Th this business won't be affected like this. Oh, no, Lord, I, I, I don't think that this is what's going to happen we 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 don't know we're not sovereign if jesus tells you something is necessary it's necessary there have been some memes circulating and i know i'm talking to a room full of memeologists so so i know that many of you have probably seen all of them but there have been memes circulating about um the year 2020 and in this global pandemic and, and what I planned for my year to be versus what it actually was. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Have y'all seen those memes? Like, here's, here's, what I, here's what I planned for, for 2020 to be, and here's what actually happened. 
I saw one recently where this guy is carrying this big pot of chili, and I'm, I'm guessing he's getting ready to serve it up. And he's like, here was my plan for 2020. And in the next shot, like the chili is spilled everywhere, and he's struggling to keep it together. Like, this is what happened. I saw a pastor friend of mine post, you know what? In the morning, we are traveling to 2021. If you're coming with me, jump on the bus quick. (laughs) Because this year, this year rocked a lot of us. It rocked a lot of us. Who would have thought, who would have thought that we would have, a certain group of us would have spent months at home because of a global pandemic Others, others of us would have had to serve around the clock nonstop to continue to serve our community and protect our community and provide health care for our community and all those sorts of things. That was not a part of our plan. I wouldn't have planned that. So, so God sees farther than we can see. Peter pulls Jesus to the side and he says, oh, no, Lord. This will never happen to you. And when you study the text, Peter is basically saying, I pray that God would spare you. I pray that he would spare you from this. And Jesus has to continue to give Peter and the rest of his disciples context because they realized that he was the Messiah, but they did not understand his mission. And yes, Peter, I am a force. Yes, Peter, I am a powerhouse. Peter, I am the lion and the lamb. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am all that in a bag of barbecue Lay's potato chips. I am Peter. But what you don't realize is that I did not come to address Rome. I came to address sin. Come on, somebody. Jesus came to address sin. Sin. Sin is that thing that that lingers in our hearts. From the moment, from the moment we fell in the garden, from the moment Adam and Eve fell in the garden, sin entered into creation through the heart of man. It overflowed from our hearts and affected all of creation. That's what Jesus came to address. Many of you Maybe you realize, maybe you don't. Maybe you've been living under a rock, maybe you haven't. But as of late, there has been a lot of civil unrest in our community because of the murder of George Floyd. The night I found out about it, I immediately felt a connection with the brother because his first name is George. And my wife, she, she showed me the video and, and I watched the video. And, um, you know, I've spoken to some people and they're like, man, I, I never really watch videos like that because it's super tough. It's super hard for me to watch videos like that. I encourage you, if you don't have little ones around you, watch it, watch it, watch it. I remember watching The Passion of the Christ when it first came out, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. And I remember leaving the theater crying, bawling. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. Why? Because some truth is hard to see. Some truth is hard to see. And so I watched this entire video of this police officer using the weight of his knee, kneeling on this man's neck, suffocating him, killing him in front of everybody that was around him. The video was about 10 minutes and there was a moment in the video when this brother, his voice is, is becoming more and more faint. And he pleads for his mother. 
a grown man cries out for his mama. And I have to be honest with y'all. That, that broke me. That broke me. It, it, it put me in a state of frustration. It put me in a state of anger. I was angry. I was very angry. How, how could this happen? This brother be murdered, surrounded by a crowd of people pleading to this officer, please get off this man. He is not, he is not resisting arrest. EMTs, there's a lady off to the side, she's an EMT. Sir, could I at least, could you at least just give me his pulse? Let us know that he's still alive. To see this brother die on camera did something to me. But you know what I realized? And what I have to continue, what I have to continue, what I have to continue to communicate to my black brothers and sisters in Christ is that, is that white people are not the enemy. Sin is. Sin is. The evil in our society is a byproduct of the sin in our hearts. It is the sin. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so... I find myself in that moment realizing that Jesus, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful because you came to address what I could not. You came to deal with what I could not. In this moment, the disciples don't realize this. And this is why they're trying to hinder Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus turned and told Peter, Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Calls him Satan. Says, you are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Jesus addresses Peter and Satan at the same time. Jesus addresses the mindset and the man at the same time. If you're taking notes, write this down. We can establish boundaries without throwing away the person. We can establish boundaries without throwing away the person. What's ironic about Jesus' rebuke, because Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus rebukes Peter, all right? What's ironic is that a few verses earlier, when Peter makes his confession, makes this miraculous confession, Peter says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but this was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He says, I call you Peter. Peter, he says, I call you a rock. I call you a rock. When you study the text, he says, you are a hindrance to me. He, the word hindrance here is a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. He says, Peter, you're a rock a few verses prior, and now he says, Peter, you're a rock. <laughs> you're a rock. What is a stumbling block? A stumbling block is a rock out of place. It's a rock out of place. It's a rock not in position. It's a rock not where it's supposed to be. Get this. Never think that your role is so foundational that you can't cause others around you to stumble. Never think that you're so such and much. They used to say such and much. Never think that you're so such and much that you cannot cause others to stumble. You can either be a rock used for building or stumbling. 
You can be a rock that Jesus can use to build upon or a rock that people stumble over. Never think that your role is so foundational because Peter's role, Peter's role was, was foundational. He was the first person to make the declaration that Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He was the first person on the day of Pentecost to speak, give the impromptu sermon that led to 3000 lives coming into the faith. He was the first person to extend the gospel to the Gentiles in the home of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. So, so Peter's role was foundational because God used him to do a lot of things, but never think that your role is so foundational that you can't cause others to stumble. And so Jesus establishes a boundary. He says, Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. What, what's happening here in the text? I believe, I believe that Jesus has watched the game film from what happened in Matthew chapter four, when Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. The temptation in the wilderness was a, a ploy to get Jesus to circumvent the cross. Jesus, there are things you can do that will still cause people to follow you without going to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. And in Peter's in Peter's rebuke, in Peter's plea, Jesus, he, he, he catches a hint of that same play, that same play, that the intent to cause him to, to circumvent the cross, to skip the cross. And so he cuts it off quickly. I played defense in high school and I played middle linebacker. And the thing about watching game film is that if you watched game film enough and if you studied enough, you could shut a play down before it even started because you watched the game film. And so Jesus watched the game film and he's like, no, what? Nope, I'm cutting it off. Get behind me, Satan. One of the things that we have to think about as we read this text is the tone of the text. One of the things that my mom always used to tell me was that, son, it's not only what you say, it's how you say it. It's how you say it. And so when you read this text, don't hear, don't hear Jesus yelling at Peter. Don't hear Jesus yelling at Peter. When you, hear the, when you read this text, hear a heartbroken Jesus. Hear a Jesus that's being tempted again, not by an enemy, but by a friend. What made this temptation so tough was that it didn't, it didn't come necessarily from an enemy. Peter is under the influence of Satan here. He is not possessed by Satan. He is under the influence of Satan here. But this temptation comes from somebody that loves him and comes from somebody that cares about him. Often in your life, you will have to establish boundaries with people. A lot of times people who care deeply about you and people you love deeply, you're gonna to have to establish boundaries because if you don't, they can become a hindrance to you. And they can become a hindrance to the work that God wants to do in your life. And so when I read this text, I hear Jesus pleading, saying, man, look, 
get, get behind me, brother. Get behind me, brother. Get behind me, man. I hear a Peter saying, Jesus, this can't happen to you. I hear a Peter saying, you know, I was, I was on my boat fishing. That's what I did all the time. I was, I was a fisherman. And I didn't realize at the time that I was living this mundane life. Every day, I would get on my boat and I would go fishing. And one of the worst days ever for me financially as a fisherman, something special happened. Lord, you got on my boat. And from the moment you got on my boat, my life was never the same. From the moment you got on my boat, you showed me that there's more to life than catching fish. From the moment you got on my boat, you challenged me. And I've been walking with you. You've been pouring into me. I've been learning from you. And, and Lord, I'm different. I'm still crazy, but, but, but I'm different. I'm better than I was. Lord, I think differently. I talk differently. I still got my sword, you know, but, you know, are you still working on me, you know? But, but I'm growing in you. So all of, this, all of this talk about you dying, Peter had no context for a suffering Messiah. And Jesus creates the boundary. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus is saying, I love you, brother, but get out of my way. I love you, brother, but, but, but get out of my way. I pray, I hope and pray that today we would survey the areas of our lives where we might be being a hindrance to others. That we would survey the areas of our lives where we're not placing God's concerns above our own. It's difficult. It's tough. There are times, there are times when I want to speak up and God tells me to shut up. <laughs> there are times when I want, I will, I, I and I, I just feel the Holy Spirit just nudging me, be quiet. <laughs> and then there are times, y'all, when I want to be quiet, but I can't. There are times when I want to be quiet and God says, son, speak up. When we place God's concerns above our own, we position ourselves to be mightily used of him. We position ourselves to be used in the furthering of his kingdom. When we don't, we become a stumbling block to ourselves and to those around us. And so as I pray today, I pray that you would survey your heart and that you would ask the great heart surgeon to show you your heart. One of the prayers I always pray is, God, show me me. Show me the areas of my heart that are not like you. Show me the areas of my heart that don't glorify you. Show me how I'm being a hindrance to those around me. Show me how I'm being a hindrance to myself. Show me how I'm being a hindrance to the expansion of your kingdom. Show me me. And God, don't just show me. 
but help me to address it. And so as I pray for you today, I pray that we would spend a moment, that we would spend some time reflecting, reflecting on that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, there's nothing beyond your scope. Lord, there's nothing about us that you don't already know. God, you, you know us from the inside out, Lord. God, you know the parts of us, the areas of our lives that we give to you. And you know the areas of our lives that we don't. God, I pray right now that you would survey the hearts of your people. God, and that you would point out to us the areas where we might be being a hindrance. God, show us the areas of our lives where we are out of place and help us to get back in position. Father, help us to put your concerns above our own. And Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to do what's necessary, even if it's not always easy. God, help us to respond in ways that please you and glorify you and not ways that please people. Father, I pray that everybody in this place would follow you and would further your kingdom. So Lord, as we take a brief moment to respond, work on us in this place. Lord, I thank you. We thank you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.